other words, they told me that they were suspending me under clause 9.1. Budget to ensure financial stability amid rising costs of everyday living. You have to tell us more about family finance. In today's world, listeners are complex and multidimensional, and it's a little cumbersome to toggle back and forth from channel to channel trying to get your fix. We feel your podcast should be just as diverse as you. Welcome to Fred Talks where the topics are as layered and multifaceted as you are, with a dash of inspiration and a little bit of an edge. Hey, welcome to another episode of Fred Talk, the catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B. And as promised, I have part two of my conversation with the multi-hyphenate HIV advocate, minister, veteran, and all-around dope person, my guy, Dante Morrison. Listen as we pick up where we left off in part one, right after the ground rules. This probably doesn't need to be said, but of course, we're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice, counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hard work, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that the perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us. Unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Bread Talks. Before you get to, this, this is all good, man. Let me interject. You said something else, and you got my wheels turning. So you talked about um, them not being affirmed in their masculinity, and you talked about how you know, um, you know, uh, uh, straight men um, they 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 try to create some distance, or they're not openly befriending or openly with uh, their partner. Mm-hmm. Can we can we mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how we define masculinity? What is what does healthy masculinity look like? Because I think we have. I think masculinity becomes toxic when it's narrowly defined, mm-hmm. when it's only one type of expression. Agree 100%. I agree 100%. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, how do you, know, how do you know you're a man? How do I know I'm a man? Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, well, I, I, you know, here, <laughs> I shouldn't be struggling with this, right? <laughs> but the reason why I, I stutter <laughs> is because I feel like my answer is not going to be uh, according to the script. One, because of my genitals, right? I mean, that's the first mm-hmm. indicator. And, and I know that that may not be the right answer in the LGBT community. Y'all going to have to forgive me uh, because I understand the whole idea of, you know, the, the cisgender and all this stuff. But my genitals, um, and I grew up with a male identity. Okay. And, and I see myself in other men. That, and so that continues okay. to affirm my maleness, okay. right? Um, okay. You, you know, I, I guess I would say also the way testosterone manifests itself in me versus, you know, a, my, a, my wife, for instance, who doesn't have the same levels of testosterone. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm not answering this as well. I mean, I've been a man <laughs> 38 years of my life. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. Dang. Exactly. So, so now don't you, let me out here by myself. You see, <laughs> right. So, so now you see. You, you see the confusion and all that happens. When I have these mm-hmm. conversations and when I host workshops, I, I ask men in the room, I said, okay, tell me what makes you a man. What makes you a man? And all of them will say, oh, because I have a penis. I have a penis. Right. I have a penis. Then, then I said, okay, I've done charts where I have, okay, so give me heterosexual man right here. And they would do the whole list. This makes me a man because I'm married to a woman. I have a job. I have this. I have that. I'm like, the mm-hmm. only difference between a heterosexual man and a homosexual man is the fact that you are married and, and want to marry a woman. Mm-hmm. That's the only okay. difference. It's the only okay. difference. You take, you take who you're in bed with out of the equation, and guess what? We're all men. Yeah. We're all men. But yeah. for some, they cannot get past who a person has sex with. So yeah. we end up defining we end up defining masculinity based upon who you're who you're being intimate with. So that means that means to say that the the gay man with a PhD that gives back to his community is less of a man than the ex con that stands in front of the liquor store all day long blaming the man for not having a job. Right. Right. So we, it, we it's not you again, you know, back to the bedroom. We reduce, reduce you. we reduce you right again. Back to the so imagine hmm. being a young gay man growing up, and you're told that you are never going to be considered a man as long as you're gay. But this brother done did everything Gosh. right by society Gosh. standards. So then he will suppress that and say, well, you know what? I still have to be accepted by my own, so let me get a wife. Let me get and a wife. And that creates a whole so other set it. of Trump traumatic experiences. Now the wife, exactly. you know, because exactly. when that whole deck of cards falls, you know, and, and then if there's children— it's just a real right. effect, man. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that brother has now pulled in a whole nother segment of society into its confusion because his own people did not validate him in his truth. And we yeah. always tell folks, live in truth, be authentic. Yeah. And the minute they yeah. do that, we cast them aside like lepers. So let's talk about this, And man. we wonder why folks lie. So, so, so people... Um, well-meaning, right, but just not have received the affirmation that they need mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to walk out their truth. So, okay, so they could be mm-hmm. homosexual, and then they get married, and they're on the down mm-hmm. low, or, or they're really believing that, you know what, um, I can change this thing. Like, you know, they're living with that internal conflict. Like, they want to be accepted. They don't want to deal with the ridicule, so they try to make themselves become something else. And so that's why they get married, right, in hopes that it changes, right? right? Um, right. Let's talk about that, though, man, because r- regrettably, I, I, I am not proud of this, but I used to be the type of guy, my whole thing, I remember having a conversation with my friend about, oh, so Fred, you think you're the, you're the type that can pray the gay away. Uh, that was my indoctrination, man, uh, that, uh-huh. right. you know, I'm, I'm pleading the blood, all this, all this stuff, man, which I have right. totally, I don't, I don't go into that now, but. What do you uh-huh. think about that, man? People who think they can pray the gay away, or people who—is it true that people who were previously gay cannot be gay anymore? Um, is appetite or uh, attraction acquired, or is it something that can be cultivated? You know, well, do you, you understand where I'm trying to go? Do you, do you, I know you're going. Do, do you want to go okay. there? You ready? I'm, I'm, hey, I'm ready. I don't have a dog in the fight. I am genuinely like I'm asking some questions for my own curiosity. 
but I'm anticipating the type of questions other people might want to ask and don't have the opportunity to ask. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Right. I think the I think when we when we do the whole the pray the pray the gateway thing and all that, it mm-hmm. opens Pandora's box. It, it opens a lot because even if a guy says that you know I, I'm no longer gay, and the mm-hmm. minute someone hears, well, you used to sleep with women with men, yeah. Oh well, that don't make no sense. You right. know what made you do that? Why would you do that? You know. So I'm you know I'm an I'm an ex straight ex gay type dude. You know I did the okay. whole I'm gay openly gay now. Um, okay. Went through the whole went through the whole thing. Well, I can't be gay no more if I want to excel over here. If I want to do mm-hmm. this and do that, I just can't do it. You know. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, turned my back on homosexuality for for seven years. You know. Mm-hmm. But inside, I never felt complete. I never felt whole. Even though I went yeah. through the whole um, metamorphosis process, I still had attraction. Now I know a lot of ex-gays. You know, and God bless them, you know, for their journey. But even to this day, they struggle. Yeah. And I say, and I, and I, I don't say struggle as a form of insult, but it's like, mm-hmm. dude, you can, you're, you're suppressing so much of you to, mm-hmm. to, to impress those who don't understand you. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's hurtful because mentally they are just, not happy. Yeah. They're not happy. Yeah. And that level of cognitive dissonance, man. That right. I, I can't imagine. There you go right there. Yeah. And that goes back to what I said at the top of the show about how I grew up not knowing God for myself. I grew yeah. up knowing knowing everybody else's God and not my mm. God. So mm. when I went through when I when I was gay the first time, you know, mm-hmm. I left the church. Because I'm like, I can't be in church and be gay because I'm tired of them, you know, telling me they're praying for me and I'm purging and I'm speaking in tongues and all this and I'm still I'm still gay. You know, yeah. I'm still I'm still I mean, I'm not even having sex, I'm celibate, not doing nothing, but I know if I wanna have sex it's not a little woman. You know, yeah. so I just left church. I said forget I'm just yeah. gonna leave. But I miss God. I miss Jesus. Yeah. So when I when I came back, I said, well, if I want to have God back, I have to be straight. So I did that. And I, I was straight for, for seven years, dated girls. All, all of my girlfriends knew my truth. They knew that I was once gay. They knew this. They knew that. All of them. But I felt that I was doing them a disservice because I yeah. could marry them for show. I could marry them. We could be the perfect couple in the church. I would give you the look that you wanted. Right. But deep down inside, I was not giving her 100% of me because I was not fully happy. Yeah. When I came, when I came out the though. second time, when I came out the People second got, time, go, go ahead, sorry. Uh-huh. Go, no, I said, when I came out the second time, my mother was like, so you're gay again. I was like, I don't think I was ever straight. I said, I think I had, I had perfected the facade. I perfected yeah. it. And I was able mm-hmm. to, to go through life with this facade, but I was not happy. And I told her, I said, well, this is how I knew that something was, was wrong. I said, if I were to marry a woman, I would definitely cheat on her with a man. Not another woman, but with a man. Yeah. If I were to cheat with a man, there. I would, yeah. I said, if I were to get with a man, I would never cheat on him with a woman. Mm. That's, and when a, I told that, her that's that, a solid litmus test. You that's saw solid. her light bulb click. You saw it. She was like, oh, well, that changed the yeah. thing. I said, I would never cheat on a man with a woman. But a woman yeah. just would never have me 100%. You know, and I think 
the part that messed people up was when they were like, well, that spirit is still in you. What spirit are you talking about? And that's when the, that's when the conversations begin to go left. And that's when I have to be 100% sure who I was so that yeah. I would not become suicidal from the yeah. bashing that came from the church. So, oh, man. Okay. So it's almost like the interrogation that people subjected you to, it refined you because it made you, you had to become sure of where you stood on it. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, Talk to me about this, man, because somebody listening is probably wondering, you, you left the church, but that does not necessarily mean you left your faith or you left your Savior. It just means you left this community, right? Right. How did right. God, uh, was there a time where you just could not uh, will yourself to pray? Like you just had no motivation to pray? Or was there a time of depression? Yeah. How did God kind of meet you in your in your down state, you know what I mean, in your isolation, uh, or maybe you weren't even isolated, maybe you found a whole other community and you were still getting support, but, you know, when you withdrawn, how did God meet you and minister to you there? Well, there was a, there was a, a whole season where I felt that my prayers were falling on deaf ears because I was gay. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, clearly God is not listening to me, so why am I even wasting my time doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, this is just, this is an insult to him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't until I surrounded myself with others who really had that connection with God, you know, yeah. to be like, no, not say you're, you're okay. You're, you're yeah. okay. And talk to him, he'll listen. And then when I did that, I started to hear his voice. I started to feel better about myself, yeah. you know, and, and, and realizing that, that, that I am who I'm supposed to be. And I, I went through all that I did for a reason because now, mm-hmm. now as I, as I meet other young gay men, other young lesbian women, I, I'm able to minister to them from a place that they never believed possible because they had given right. up, you know, and at yeah. the end of the day, even if, even if I'm wrong, you know, even if I am wrong, I can mm-hmm. at least have an argument and say, well, Lord, I tried, <laughs> you right. know, Lord, right. I still tell people about you. I've never stopped sharing, sharing the gospel. I've never stopped sharing your goodness. I've never stopped sharing your love. I've never did right. that. You know, but, um, but here's, I, 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 I would add to that. It, let's just entertain that hypothetical. Like, even if you were wrong, like, what would be the consequence? Like, I don't think, like, hell is the consequence. And I know I'm a, people going to try to at me on this, you know, and they're going to pull up certain scriptures. But, I mean, if I was into having these theological arguments, I would have an argument to refute their argument, you know. But I don't think hell would be the, argue, would be the consequence. Like, the loving God would say... Right. I'm, I'm gonna put you on hell for you mm-hmm. trying to you, you trying to live this out. You know, I I can't. I mean, that, not a loving God. You know, now now some people's God. Right. Here's the, here's the argument I make. I tell people we're all a little atheistic and we're all a little uh, agnostic because there is a version of God that all of us reject. True atheists just mm-hmm. reject all of them. Uh, and then so I, you know so I reject the version of God that you say is love, but the consequence that he would meet out for something like this, you know, living your truth like this, oh, you're going to go to hell for eternal conscious torment. You know, that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, right. Man, this is, you know, you know, we weren't even going to go into this part of the conference. It's crazy how I we know, are I, so far off. I know, here, reading the question, like, we, 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 we lost, we lost <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sit back and be quiet. You stare, you stare the car. <laughs> but, but this is so good, man. I, I, I feel like this is where we're supposed to go, you know? 
You know, so I, I agree. I agree. Let's let's talk about this, man. Um, let's talk about stigma. And you've already okay. kind of been helping to address some of those right now. So remember, I told you I'm late to the to the party, right? I, I'm catching up. I have some. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. But I know in the black community, uh, as an adolescent when I was growing up, I vaguely remember um, HIV or AIDS being considered something that black people don't really have to even have a conversation about. Like that's not, it was kind of framed as that's not our thing, right? That that's not a black thing until uh-huh. Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson comes up and, and well, that, that changes the whole tone of the conversation. But in your experience, are black people uh-huh. just as susceptible to HIV and or oh, AIDS yeah. as any yeah, other people group? Yeah. yeah of well, I mean, the, the first word is HIV is human. Yeah. The first word mm. is HIV is human. You know, we're all human, regardless of color you know, age, sexual orientation. If you are a human, you can contract HIV. Yeah. Well, there we, there we go. Mm-hmm. Since, since you are an educator, educate, my, educate me, please, and those that are listening. What's the contradistinction between HIV and AIDS? It's all about your, um, your health level, your T-cell count. So okay. if you have, um, what, if you have, once you contract the virus, you know, HIV attacks your T-cells and it lowers your T-cell count. And a person with a healthy T-cell count is between, you know, 800 and 1,200. Once your T-cells drop below 200, they classify you as having AIDS. So it's really all about, um, you know, where your T-cells are and how they want to classify you. Both both are just health issues. Um, one is just more extreme. That's all. Okay. Okay. So talking about the whole idea that this is not something – um, that black people are susceptible to. Where do you think that stick? I mean, did you hear that growing up too? I mean, was that your experience or is that just something that oh, maybe? Yeah, uh, I'll, okay. So where do you definitely. think that originates? I, um, the church. It's the church. It's just about, it's, a, it's about how human sexuality is taught within the black community. You know, hmm. the black community does not talk about human sexuality, period. You know, um, and I think that's that's been a discussion that we really need to change. Yeah. You know, can you talk to me a little bit about this? Uh, and if you're not prepared, that's fine, because this is, again, this is not something that we were going to entertain. What do you think about, uh, I've been hearing a lot about this term, um, sex positive, um, mm-hmm. especially as we talk about the church, like the church, you know, they had the whole purity culture thing. And so that's the, mm-hmm. uh, that's the opposite of sex positive. I mean, how does someone get into a sex positive space? Or first of all, I mean, what do you think about the whole idea of sex positive? Should we be sex positive, and what does that yes. look like? And how does somebody? We come should into definitely it? be. Yeah, we should definitely be sex positive. Sex positivity basically is just talking about sex from a very open and healthy space, and allowing people to do what they do without judgment. If they're not hurting themselves or the other person, hey, it's sex positive. You know, like you asked earlier, you know, how do you talk to your kids or whatever? Create a sex-positive household where your kids, when they do become of age, when they get mm-hmm. curious and have questions, they know they can come to you or your wife and, and ask those questions without you guys frowning, without you guys yeah. making them feel ashamed, you yeah. know, without you just making it feel like they're having this dirty conversation. No, it's a sex-positive yeah. household, and it's going to ha- make them have better conversations with their friends and the persons they may, may want to be intimate with. When a child yeah. knows their parent is holding them accountable in a healthy way, they're not going to just give it up to any and everybody. Yeah, yeah. 
That's good, man. Shame and condemnation is so unproductive, man. And uh, it's amazing that we have it in our mind that you can you can raise and nurture children. This is, this is actually the oxymoron, that you can nurture children in a shameful environment and expect them to mm-hmm. get into their adult romantic relationships and experience any type of liberty there. Like, right. no, nah, man. <laughs> they got to sit on somebody's couch and undo all this exactly. and unlearn un- all this unhealthy stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Okay. Next question, as, as, uh, as, as we talk about some of the stigmas. So cisgender homosexuals, excuse me, heterosexuals, also tend mm-hmm. to excuse themselves from the conversation, uh, thinking that, uh, you know, they have Teflon immunity towards HIV and AIDS. So can you speak to mm-hmm. that mentality a little bit? And, and actually, can you unpack cisgender, what that whole terminology right. means? Right. So, so cisgender, cisgender basically is just being born biologically male. So any any man that was born with a penis is a cisgendered man. Transgender is the one is are persons who are born the opposite gender of how they currently identify. Mm-hmm. So a transgender male was originally born female. So they he has female parts down there, but identifies and lives as a male. A cisgender male born with a penis, that's all it is. So you have cisgender okay. and transgender. That's how okay. they go. Most, most cisgender men do not think that they're at risk for contracting HIV. Cisgender heterosexual men, because mm-hmm. a lot of people still view HIV as a gay disease, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. would, so, you, would you say there's any truth to this? I mean, um, in spaces where, like where I grew up, it was not just... Um, a homosexual uh, experience. It was a homosexual white male experience. Right. Is that exactly what you were conditioned? Okay. Yeah. And um, that's why folks. That's why folks are, you know, just looking at um, why, why they were so shocked by Magic Johnson. Exactly. Just completely yeah. shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's this idea that the diagnosis means that you cannot enjoy quality of life or extended quantity of life. Um, does that have any merit? Like, where's the truth in that? Nah, ain't no truth in that. No truth at all. Okay. <laughs> ain't no truth in that. I mean, life is what you make it and, and how you how you live your life. It's just, it's all about how you live your life. Um, you know, I was diagnosed in 1999, you know, and at the time, you know, I didn't know anybody that had HIV. I didn't know anyone that was living with it or nothing because it was not talked about. So, mm-hmm. so because of that, my look on it and my outlook on it was very, very very limited. And all I mm-hmm. thought of was that I'm about to die. Oh my God, my life is over. It's a wrap. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. I started educating myself that I realized, oh, this is not a death sentence. And we always hear it's not a death sentence, but it's like, this really is not a death sentence. I, I'm going to be just fine. You know, yeah. and unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that. They don't have that mm-hmm. kind of um, message in their ear to let them know they're going to be okay. So they walk around yeah. scared and concerned because most people still view HIV as a death sentence and they um just I don't even know how to say it because it's so they, they shame people that that are affected. Yeah. Yep. 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 And I mean, thank God, you know, for the type of uh, science advancement scientific advancements we've had. I mean there's so much science that can almost um, ensure, I don't want to say ensure, you can't guarantee, like tomorrow's not promised, 
but the probability of you living a longer life is even greater nowadays right. than it was back oh, then. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, the so, person dying from HIV now is, is really slim to none. Hmm. That's, that's if they're on their medications, if they're on their medications and living right, it's slim to mm-hmm. none. But it's really all about having the support. Without that support, but if you have mm-hmm. to walk around living like, you know, living a lie or living mm-hmm. in hiding and all that kind of stuff, it just adds to the mental trauma that a person is dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One more question about stigma, unless you say something else that triggers another thought. Um, uh, if someone were to say to you that they can't afford to get tested, how would you respond? Meaning, like, testing how easy? Is, testing is free. Testing is free. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Testing All right. Free. Yeah, testing is free. Yeah, there, there are too many uh, free clinics. A person should get tested. If they are sexually active, they should get tested um, every every three to six months mm-hmm. if they're sexually mm-hmm. active. Um, but if they are just um, literally doing, like, having sex with a lot of random partners um, no counters whatsoever. Just throw a caution to the wind and like living their best life, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. I would mm-hmm. recommend just going go and get tested once a month. You know, yeah. the reason I say once a month is because there's a thing called the window period. So a person is highly active. If they're highly active, no no judgment whatsoever. But if you know mm-hmm. you're having sex on the regular with a lot of different people, it takes it takes four to twelve weeks, depending on the test the testing device, for the virus to be picked. So if a person goes and gets tested today, let's say January 3rd, you know, they get tested today, but they, um, you know, had sex in December. That was their last night of sex. The test may not pick up if they contracted HIV in December. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But if they, wait until, if they wait until March to go, they will get tested for the encounters they had in December. So you base it upon, base it to me, what you should do is base it upon how active you are. If, if December was your busiest month and you haven't had sex all year except for December, go get tested in March. Because getting tested in January, it may not pick up that you've been infected. And a lot of folks are getting tested um, outside of the window period. They're getting tested too soon when, in fact, they are living with the virus and then they're infecting others. Because yeah. even though you have not tested positive, you're still infecting other people. Yeah. Is is um, is sex sexual intercourse the only way that someone can contract the virus? No, no. Um, well, when you say sexual intercourse, you know they have there are three kinds of sex acts. Do you know this? Okay. I would imagine oral sex, oral anal, anal sex, and... vaginal. Yeah. Vaginal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm oral a full grown adult, man. Sex, I know what I'm talking about. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> oral sex, anal sex, and vaginal sex. That, mm. that, those are the three types of sex acts that you can engage in that put you at risk for infection if you sleep with someone who is living with the virus, okay? Um, mm-hmm. A mother can transmit it to her baby, you know, mm-hmm. by the feeding of breast milk. Right. Um, and you can also get it through, through sharing needles. Okay. So none of this, if I go to a bathroom, you know, I use the same toilet, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, p- fear. Pe- people are operating in fear combined with their ignorance. I mean, that, that's that's a hell of an animal, man. Um, it's not mm-hmm. as easy to contract as people uh, some, some, sometimes assume, then, according to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So that's all the more all that reason stuff. why we don't have to walk around and, and project these stigmas on people or we don't have to treat people like they're lepers. That's all the more reason why we can... Relax. 
if you will, exactly. you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's all the more reason. That is the reason. I think when people get educated, um, it, it eliminates a lot of the fear. Um, and a lot of people, you know, they feel that they get with someone who has HIV, then they're automatically going to get infected. And they're not because there have been new findings. The latest is U equals U. And that means undetectable means untransmittable. So if you have an mm. individual who is living with HIV, they're on their medication, but the viral load is undetectable. They cannot transmit the virus. Mm. Mm. Yeah, wow. Just, just cannot, okay. cannot at all. They, they cannot transmit it. And I think that is a major breakthrough for a lot of people who are in serial discord relationships. A serial discord relationship means one partner is negative, another partner is positive. You have a lot of, of women living with HIV, and they don't disclose to the men that they sleep with because they're just scared he's going to run because most right. straight men are ignorant to HIV. If she is undetectable, she can get pregnant, have a baby, the whole nine. Yeah. If he is yeah. undetectable, he can have sex with his wife without a condom and no transmission. You know, transmitting okay, HIV nowadays is a lot harder. Sure, go ahead. Can you be undetectable and then become detectable? Yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. Being, okay. being undetectable is all about how you adhere to the medication. If you stay on your medication, stay on your medication, then you can possibly reach undetectable status. If you get off of your medication, then, of course, the viral load will increase. Your T-cell count will go back down. Mm. Okay. Okay. Man, this is, um, this is really helpful, man. This is – man, I'm – I know we're not done, but I'm just, I just want to reiterate my gratitude for you dropping these gems and uh, just being so accommodating, man. This, this is awesome. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. No problem. No problem. We interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle EdFredTalks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash fredtalks. Remember, talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but... When it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. So you shared with us uh, that you, um, I want to talk a little bit about your relationship and journey with HIV. Um, mm -hmm. And you shared with us when you first got diagnosed, what was some of the internal chatter 
um, like when you first got the news? I mean, you, t- you talked a little bit about the religious experience, like, hey, man, you know, um, they going they they are going to or they did treat you like an outcast. But just before you even shared with anybody else, and you had to reconcile with Dante and sit with mm-hmm. it. What were some of the thoughts in your head? Um, some of the thoughts in my head was, um, why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Because I was in a I was in a committed relationship, um, mm-hmm. and when I was diagnosed, so it threw me off, and I just mm-hmm. found out that my partner had been had stepped out, so it just threw the oh, whole thing man. off. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like like um, I had been out in the streets living this wild, you know, life. No, I was a yeah. homebody. I was at home every day, and you know, doing what I do. So that part threw me. And then I really felt like God did not care about me, and it was over. Mm-hmm. Like all that I've invested, you know, in church, all these seeds that I've sown, and this is what happened to me. Lord, why you do this to me? You know, play that play that victim role. You know, mm-hmm. then I felt mm-hmm. like I was a disappointment to my parents. You know, like, you know, my mother was already dealing with the fact that she had, a, you know, your son is gay. Like, your son yeah. is gay with HIV. Oh, my God, your son's a stereotype. You know, yeah. it, was, it was all that kind of stuff that was going through my head that I had to deal with. Plus the fact that I was like, I'm never going to be in another relationship again. Who's going to want to be with somebody who has HIV? Yeah. You know, and I, and yeah. I did not want to be the kind that just did not tell people. That wasn't me because I was like, well, a person didn't tell me. So I can't be the same way. I gotta let folks know. So you didn't want to be the type of person that didn't tell tell people. And I I salute you I, for being yeah. such a stand up guy. Who did you confide in first? Who was the first person you shared with? Well, well, being that I was told over the phone while I was at work. <laughs> so oh, I, worked in, I worked in corporate. I worked in corporate America. Yeah, I worked in corporate America. Um, a regular nine to five, certain type job. You know, I was mm-hmm. um, twenty twenty six years old, twenty seven years old. The whole nine, and they called me at work um, because they told me that they forgot to tell me that I had HIV. Whoa! Yeah, just, they just right. casually, just like oh yeah, my God. they they. I took the, I took the HIV test in August. That was back in the day when it, the test took you know a week to get your results and all that kind of stuff. I took the test in August. Didn't didn't have any fears or concerns or doubts, but I'm like oh, sure, why not? Took the mm-hmm. test, and they told me I was fine in August. Then, then somebody called me in November and said, oh, my God, we made a mistake. We forgot mm. to tell you that you have HIV. So they told me at work, and my mother had to come pick me up from work because I couldn't drive. I was all messed up. You know, wow. I called my mom. I called my mom the day it happened. So she was the – and we rode all the way to the hospital in complete silence because she didn't know what to yeah. say. I didn't know what to say. And she was right. trying to be comforting and all that. And then we left there, and she took me to my – um pastor at the time's house and my pastor was someone who I admired immensely and my mother told my pastor you know they just told him this and yada 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 and my pastor looked at me my pastor said well you're not gonna die from this you're gonna die one day but not from this and I can laugh at that now but you know my pastor was a prophet you know really really heard from God and said Mm -hmm. you're not gonna die from this but you are gonna die one day just not from this and yeah. it gave me, I think, a millisecond of comfort. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my yeah. God, okay. But then it, it still sunk in, like, I have this in me for the rest of my life. And knowing mm-hmm. that you're walking around every single day with something inside of you that's going to kill you is traumatizing. It's mm-hmm. very traumatizing. So I did go through depression and a suicide attempt and all kind of stuff. But I came out on the other side and realized that I need to let people know, you know, that are in relationships. To have conversations. 
I need to let these kids know who are out there having sex to talk, you know, and, and get with somebody that can help them learn about sex and human sexuality. I start talking to pastors and think you guys are doing a disservice by leaving, leaving these kids ignorant. Yeah. And the Bible says my people will perish for a lack of knowledge. But for some yeah. reason, we're not having conversations about practical sexual behavior. People yeah. are not just having sex to procreate. That's just not realistic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're just right. not doing that. You know, right. but so many people, so many pastors try to have that facade that, oh, my church, no one in my church is gay. No one in my church is this. No, it's, it's a church. It's a place where everybody comes for healing mm-hmm. and empowerment. And yeah. when I was, the, HIV changed my life. HIV put me where I am today. I would not be getting a PhD if I was not positive. I would not be speaking yeah. all over the world if I was not positive. Because yeah. it, it just, it changed my, my scope. And I now yeah. I see how when people, when the Bible says, you know, with the devil meant for bad, God will be yeah. good. And how God will shift everything if you just have faith in him and believe in his word. Come on, preach up in here, man. Sue. You know, yeah, I'm trying to hold back. <laughs> but I, I just think about that and I look at all the people who are out there and they, and you know, one thing happens and they feel defeated. And they feel that, oh, my God, it's over. No, it's not over. If God promised you this, you are going mm. to get that. And whatever this mm. situation may that came in your life, could be something that's going to put you on the road to get to that next level. Mm, that's you a know, good word, man. You know, exactly. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And, and tell I would not have tell the people, exposure. Tell the people, man of Go God, ahead, where they should send their tithes and offerings. <laughs> for that word. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> man, that's a good word, bro. Let yeah, me let me yeah, let man, me interject and ask you this, man. Um so do you feel oh well here, tell me this. I got so many things going on. Tell me this, man. So you get the diagnosis. Mom drives you mm-hmm. to the pastor's house. You you mm-hmm. get, you know, a moment of relief, right? And then you 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 fast forward it and you told me, Okay, I gotta share with people and stuff like this, but but, you know, kind of like the Old Testament, like God stopped speaking mm-hmm. and then we just wake up, we go to Matthew, and now Jesus is born ourselves. But, but tell me what happens in the middle from the time that your pastor gives you that, you sit with it, you go through the bout of depression, suicidal attempt, and so forth. What, how long of a period from the time you're at your pastor's house to when you say, okay, I'm going I'm to start being an advocate? Mm-hmm. How, how much time has elapsed? From the time I... From the time your pastor said, hey, you're going to die, but just not from this, uh-huh. Uh-huh. to the time you decide, okay, you know what, I'm going to start uh, doing advocacy-type work. Two years. Or is there not a defining moment because you just kind of happen to start casually sharing, like it just started bubble, yeah. bubbling over? No, it took, it took me two years. It took, mm. me, it took me two years to finally um, wake up from, from my stupor. Um, mm. I had... Basically, I had started living like I was about to die. If you ever talk about just doing anything and everything, you know, just spending money frivolously and just doing everything, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm about to die anyway. I had I yeah. had AIDS. You know, that was my yeah. mindset. I'm about to go. And then when I did yeah. not die, I just sat there broke, like, oh, my God, I have the money and I'm still, <laughs> <laughs> still here. <laughs> yeah. Life ain't short. Um, Life is long when you're out right, of money, exactly, bro. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, I'm not dying. These people work. I'm still here. Um, my Actually, my doctor, my doctor saw my spirit, and he wanted me to speak to a room full of other HIV care professionals about how to deal with patients. 
as a yeah. patient. And that was that that lit the fire, that lit the bug. I spoke Man. to a room full of doctors and physicians or whatever about living with HIV and how they should treat their clients. We're not a number, we are people and all that kind of stuff. And from that mm. my phone started ringing to do all kind mm. of advocacy talks and then I just I just got on the bag like Man, that is such a an amazing it's, it's amazing, man, your story, man. It's a story of resilience, think, a story I... of, of hope, man. Gosh. But it, it, it for a moment it looked like it was gonna be a dismal story, man, but this is this is man, I, I really hope that uh when listeners hear this that uh it, it really resonates with someone and kinda jerks them out of their, their dark place as well, man. You know? Yes, indeed. Um, and that's really my goal. That's really my goal mm-hmm. to let folks who are diagnosed whether newly diagnosed or just still dealing with the fact that they have HIV, to let them know, hey, we got work to do. You know, mm-hmm. HIV aside, we got we got work to do. We got our community is just going through hell right now. And you know, my diagnosis is is such a small part of the the bigger picture of of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me ask you this, man. Um, I think there, I think you would agree that all of us are likely to live with or know someone somewhere on the HIV AIDS spectrum. So mm-hmm. let's talk about protocol. Um, I think part of the reason people shun the conversation is because of fear of saying something wrong. We, we kind of talked about that a little bit. So, you know, it necessitates that one party has courage, the other party has grace, and that both parties have maturity. Having said that, what are some microaggressions that me, for instance, like I may need to be aware of, hey, Fred, you could trigger somebody if you say these type of words if you approach someone in this type of fashion, you know, w- w- help me help me uncover some blind spots. You know, I mean, I, I know you have you would have to know me a little bit better probably to know exactly what my specific blind spots are because obviously they're my blind spots. I can't tell you, but what right. are some general blind spots that uh, you see people having? Um, when it comes to dealing with persons living with HIV. With HIV, and since we're we've kind of been talking about HIV, and we've also been talking about homosexuality, if you can kind of conflate the mm-hmm. two and, and talk talk about both, if, okay. if you're able to do that, I, yeah. Okay, I know, I know. Well, well, I think for me, for me, I don't want anybody to, to once they find out I have HIV to to go all, <laughs> you know, all. Yeah, yeah. For you, that grates my goat. Right. It's like yeah. okay, you found out today. I found out in 1999. <laughs> I've had 20 years to deal with this. Yeah, so, no, you don't good. have to. You don't have to. You don't have to hug me and say, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." And because I went through that season already, you know, yeah. that season of sadness and depression, and I need someone to hold me and tell me I'm gonna be okay. I'm not there. I, I'm not yeah. there. I mean, I understand where the sympathy is coming from, but don't, don't, don't start to pacify the person if they're like a long-term survivor. You know, though, it's, it's, it's annoying. It's annoying. That's good. Um, for the person that's good. that for the person that is that that's gay, I mean, of course, any kind of aggression. Think of a, think of how a black woman feels when you touch her hair. Mm. That's how a gay yeah. that's how a gay person feels when you ask them what do they do. Mm. Okay. You know, you're gay. Yeah. Oh my God. So what, so what do you do? You know that yeah. it's it's a it's a eye squinting moment because it's it's invasive. It's rude. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. and it's like that. That's that's totally irrelevant. What do what do yep. I do? You know, yep. because if I tell you what if I tell you what I did, you would think I'm lying because it's not going to balance out what you think I do. 
you know, good. people already have their own perception of, well, you do this and this and this. And if I said, well, no, really, I don't, and I don't like that, that's nasty, but you got yeah. to because you're gay. Okay. Yeah. So let's not talk about yeah. it. You know, that's good. Um, I, and, I, and, and, and also, please, please, straight people, stop asking gay people which celebrities are gay. We don't know. Mm. We don't get a monthly <laughs> newsletter. <laughs> There's not, there are not weekly updates. I mean, the, you mean the, to tell the, me I, there's not a gay Illuminati? Right, there's not one. If there is one, I'm not a member, and, and I'm okay. waiting for my membership card to come. But I think, and, and most most straight people that I do know, they always say, "Well, do you know this person? You know, I heard he was gay. No, I don't know that person. You know, well, they, they they're yeah. saying this person. No, I don't know that person. I, that that is an irritant because. You know, believe it or not, we all don't know each other, you yeah. know. And, and I'm the kind of person, if I do know someone is gay, I'm not going to tell you. Because that's not your story to tell, right? That's not my story to tell. Because if I told you all the people I know who's gay, you know, I, your show go viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, not only like, that, man. You know, um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't I think do about oh, – I'm sorry, man. I, I, I'm sorry for talking of you. Go ahead, man. You, you got the juice. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm, I'm done. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I want to go, kind of go back to that analogy with the the, um, uh, the racial interactions, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just like, you know, you, you you've been you know you've been places where you're the only black guy, you know, and, and some white guy they're like they they they're trying too hard, and so like, oh, do you know so and so? Yeah, right. Because right, they're right, black, right. don't mean, <laughs> you know, right. all the black people don't know right. all the black people, man. Get out of here, you at know, at all, at all. <laughs> and, and please, don't, and please, and please don't try to set us up with each other. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Oh my God, Dante, you're gay. My cousin's gay. Y'all be a great couple. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. Just because, of, just because you're, my person is gay does not mean that we all just, you know, date yeah. whoever else is gay. You have a yeah. taste. I have a taste. You know, and I think That's that good. once we can have those kind of conversations in a healthy and and laughing kind of manner, a lot of understanding will, will happen. That's mm. why I said, you know, you have to make sure you're talking to someone who is comfortable in who they are and who's not going to take ignorance, you know, to heart. Mm-hmm. I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't take it to heart. If you're sincerely saying something, I think of everything as a teachable moment. And I will pause yeah. and say, yo, Fred, let me just tell you, don't say that to other people because I can deal with it. I can take it, but somebody else will walk away from you mad. Right. It'll be all in their right. feelings. You know, because I'm all about just bridging these gaps. Because I'm tired of yeah. the gaps. I want us to really focus on what really matters within our community and who's yeah. gay does it. Let me share something that, um, a conversation, um, that I was privy to, uh, about, uh, about allyship or about, about the spectrum of tolerance. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. as it relates to, uh, homosexuality, the conversation went something like this. Uh, one party said, uh, I'm cool with gay people. I just don't like the flamboyant. Right. Uh-huh. And on the surface, that might sound like that might sound like, oh, OK, I get it. Yeah. You annoyed by the flamboyant. Uh-huh. But when uh-huh. you peel the onion back further, it's, it's like saying I'm cool with gay people as long as they don't bring them their whole selves, as long as they don't uh, they don't they don't they don't show their full character. Or I said another way. Uh-huh. I'm cool. With- Don't be a certain type of black around me. 
Right. Right, right. A non-intimidating black. Yeah. Be the yeah, safe black, black person. Black is not going to make me nervous. Yeah, be a safe black person. That one's going to make me nervous. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But 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 code switching is exhausting. I mean, just just don't have people in your. I mean, if you can't accept people as they are fully, don't require right. them to code switch. You know. Right. So. Right. I agree, and and that's that's yeah. that's a very good point, and that's where that's how we all connect and can make this all work. Just stuff like mm-hmm. that. Let people be who they are. If you're not comfortable with them, that's fine, and that's fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that people get it confused. It, there's a lot of gays that are uncomfortable around other kinds of gays. You know, mm, feminine, gay men, feminine gay men have a very hard time in spaces, you know, mm. because feminine gay men are viewed as less than. So you have masculine gay men who honestly are not always supportive of their feminine brothers because they, they feel they make us look bad. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. when you look at reality TV, you know, a lot of the women have their feminine gay counterparts with the heels mm-hmm. and the handbags and all that. And because mm-hmm. there is not a full full spectrum of black gay men shown on television, society views black gay men as being over-the-top flamboyant. That's not yeah. the case. That's not yeah. the case. That's good. Okay. I got uh, I got just a few more questions as we kind of bring this thing in. Okay. Um, okay. What is an ally? Uh, what does an ally look like? Uh, and, and let's just go ahead from this point on, just kind of conflate the two for homosexuality uh, and HIV. And I'm not doing that. I'm not conflating the two because the two run together. I'm conflating the two just for convenience of our conversation. Right. I'm not trying to say, okay, if you're okay, but um, what does allyship look like? Because I think a lot of times, and, and again, I'm just using this parallel between uh, racial interactions and heterosexual, homosexual interactions. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people, in their mind, they're telling themselves they're an ally, but their allyship mm-hmm. is really just performative. It's not true, genuine ally, ally allyship. So okay. what does an ally look like to you, or what do you expect of an ally and or an advocate? I, I expect an ally um, or an advocate to speak up when they see things wrong. Um, one of the biggest, one of the, the biggest um, moments for me was after the, the massacre at Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, um, my, my bishop openly addressed it and, and mm-hmm. talked about the, the responsibility of the church to be a safe space for the LGBT community. Um, mm-hmm. There were a lot of clergy who cheered, you know, at the massacre mm-hmm. because gays were killed. And, and I think that was the most embarrassing wow thing that could have happened and it was devastating but a real ally is going to speak up you know mm-hmm. speak up speak up out and against those who literally should be professing the same message that they do but they're wrong you know i think that a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of heterosexual men should speak up for black gay men who are going through all these injustices i personally feel as though if if a black gay man is killed by the police, he won't get the same support as a straight gay man. Facts. I don't yeah. think he. I don't think he'll get the same Black Lives Matter movement if he is killed Facts. because he's in in a gay or I don't think he'll get that. I think he'll be yeah. slandered. He'll be he'll be yeah. mocked. He'll be. Yeah. They'll say, well, that's what he got for being a fag. Stuff like yeah. that because we don't support our own. But I think it's really the only one we're going to see real change within for, for black gay men is if black straight men 
begin to open up and say something. The same way yeah. I believe that the only way we're going to see a shift in how this country deals with black Americans is for white Americans to speak up and out against racism. Yeah, because they're straight privilege, right? Just like there's white privilege, right? right? So the, it's, exactly. it's incumbent upon the privileged person to exactly. speak for those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the black and the black the black straight man has that privilege. And mm-hmm. and even though he is being, you know, targeted, you know, racially, systemically and all that kind of stuff, he still feels that he's better than the black gay man. Mhm. Yeah. Which is unfair yeah. because we're both black men. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Man. Um can you talk to me about this? I know I said that was the last one. Well, I didn't say that was the last one. Good. So, I'm happy I saved that for myself. Talk to me about this idea, man. Um, I know one thing that perturbs me is when um, I'm in a setting and there's like a um, there's somebody who's trying too hard. They're trying to befriend me, and they're trying to use the colloquial language. They're they're trying to, I mean, you know what? They're approaching me as if being black is a monolith, right? Uh-huh. They're assuming uh-huh. I I'm talking like yo yo yo. Not understanding, like, man, I got a, you know, I, I have I have a graduate degree. You know, I'm a professional, right. you know. Like, truth be told, I don't even talk like that, but that's because of the image you see on TV. And you're trying to endear yourself to me, but you're actually offensive. And you're kind of telling on yourself right. that you're not as socially, culturally aware. Um, right. So the same way, does that happen in, 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 in your space, if you will? And, and forgive me if I frame that wrong, I phrase that wrong. And if, no, if that does happen, happens. can you give me an example? It happens. Um, um, people people try too hard to fit in, and and they want to either go everywhere we go, or mm-hmm. or learn everything, or are just they're just kind of smothering. And it's like, dude, I'm not even that gay, <laughs> you know. <and> <laughs> trying to you know trying to, to just make me be the the go all and with Dante, Dante, yeah. Dante. I'm like, but dude, I don't go there. I don't hang out with that crowd. I don't do that, you know. Just, yeah. Why don't you back up and ask me where I need your help instead of assuming mm. that all that you're offering is what is needed? Because sometimes it's just not. That is, that's helpful. That's really helpful. Yeah, that's really helpful. All right, man, last two questions. Our right, last question, okay. and then I'm going to let you close this out by plugging all the things you got going on. Last question. What two things do you want either people who either have uh, HIV and AIDS to know, and then what two things would you want people without HIV and AIDS or, and or AIDS to know? Okay. Um, I want people who are living with the virus to know that, that we have a responsibility to not only disclose our status to those whom we love um, and, are, and or are going to be intimate with for a continual amount of time, but to also be honest with ourselves about the fact that we actually have a virus. We're walking around with a virus. And we have to live our lives as such. We owe it to ourselves to be healthy, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you know. And from us being healthy, we can encourage others to be healthy. And we can use our voice to shift the epidemic just by letting people know that it's okay that you are infected. That does not mean life stops. You know, um, I want people without HIV to know that you are not exempt. You know, mm-hmm. just because you feel that you're not gay or you only sleep with women or you always use a condom or whatever the case it be, you're not exempt from contracting the virus. 
you know, you can have it if you're not asking those right questions. You can have it just because you're assuming someone looks healthy or they're walking around with a certain kind of swag, then they must be okay. If you're not asking questions, if you're not getting educated, and if you're not getting tested, you are grossly at risk of contracting mm-hmm. HIV. You owe it to yourself to be responsible inside the bedroom and outside the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Right on. Right on. All right, bro. Look, um, where can we purchase your book? Hey, sometime about listen, help <laughs> brother out. I'm in a very expensive PhD program at Temple University. Very, very expensive. So listen, you buy a book, I can buy a school book. But no, they can go hey. to my website. Yeah, uh, go to my website, www.dantemorrison.com. That's www.dantemorrison.com. Dot com. You buy the book, I will send it to you the whole night. Or you can just go on Amazon, type in Dante, D-O-N-T-A, Dante with an A, Morrison, and both of my books will come up. Right on, right on. How do they get access to your podcast? The Dante Show, www.blogtalkradio.com backslash Dante Morrison. It is every Monday at 9 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. You can listen online or you can listen to the archive versions by just going to iTunes, going to iTunes, type in podcast and type in the Dante show and it will come up. Or you can go to my website and you can click on the link, the Dante show, and it will take you right to blog talk radio. And you can listen to all of the episodes. I have two and three and a half years worth of shows that you can catch wow. up on. So please go out and support your boy. You can also mm. share it on social media, tell your friends to listen and all that kind of good stuff. Mm. Okay. Uh, how do we go about booking you for ministry and or advocacy type work, like a workshop? Is it the same process same, for both or are they different? Process, same process for both. Same process for both. You can actually go to my website again. It also has a segment where you can book me. Um, just go to DanteMorrison.com and you will see the segment that talks about book Dante, get involved, get to know the whole night. And like I said, I'm very accessible. I am so easy to reach. You know, I am not hiding from nobody or on the run. You know, you can just reach out to me on any of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I respond to all um, inboxes, unless they're inappropriate. I ain't going to, you know, feed your ego. But I'll write back. So when you write me, you literally get me, and I will talk to you. If you're someone who is newly diagnosed and just wants someone to talk to and to give you some encouragement, I'm here for you. Hit me up. That's what's up. That's what's up. Okay, so you mentioned social media. Um, did you give us the handle? Dante on everything. That is the easiest way. I don't have different names for different platforms. I think that is silly. If you're trying to build a brand, you got to be consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Word up, man. Is there any last thing you want to say? Well, first, let me just go ahead and say thank you again, man, for being so easy to work with, for being so open. Uh, for being accommodating. Let me ask these questions. I'm sure I probably fumbled over a little bit of things. I may have said something triggering inadvertently, uh, but you've been gracious, man. So thank you. Um, is there any last thing you want to say uh, to close this out? Um, no, just, I mean, I really appreciate this, this, this opportunity to share um, my life, my experiences and some information with people. You know, I never take it for granted when I'm asked to talk because I never know who's going to listen. And I may think that people are aware or they understand but there's still so much work that needs to be done. So just thank you for giving me the opportunity for reaching out to me, for even considering me for the show. I'm um, like you said, we met, 
I'm wow, I, I would say at least over 10 years ago um, yeah. at a church and to have yep. kept in touch all the time is nothing short of a blessing. And I know that all things work together for, for the good. And Look you know, that season was that <laughs> right. That season was that season. And this mm-hmm. season is this season. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Word up, man. I feel the same, man. So, uh, We'll be in touch, and uh, we'll see when we can have you back on the show again, man. Most definitely. Look forward to it. All right, man. Take care. All right, you too. And just like that, it's a wrap. Another episode for the archives. Do you like it? Do you feel it, though? Did anything resonate with you? Did it motivate you? So now what? What are you going to do about it? What's your next move? Share your thoughts by emailing fredtalx at mail.com or connect on Twitter at fredtalks, spelled Fred T-A-L-X. Tune in next time for some more gems.